Hello, and this is Chris Whitehead, Chief Executive of Finzia. And today I'm chatting with Giles Cuthbert, the Managing Director of the Chartered Bankers Institute. Welcome to Australia. Thank you. Good afternoon. Now, Giles, you uh, said that this was really uh, the catalyst for this program was the, uh, the financial crisis in the UK. Now, Australia didn't have that same financial crisis. You've now spent a fair amount of time in each country, as well as many other jurisdictions. Where do you see the similarities? What's the difference? What's the relevance of a similar program here in Australia? So I think there are a suitable number of similarities to see that the remedy of uh, rebuilding or building professionalism in banking really, I would suggest, would appear to be the same, that we need to start qualifying people in banking here. We need people not to simply have academic qualifications, but to also have qualifications that demonstrate professional skills. And at the heart of those professional skills is the client-centered focus and a clear understanding of professional ethics. What have you seen shift in a cultural sense over the last few years and what evidence is there that the support of Chartered Bankers Institute has been a factor in cultural change across the industry? The really interesting one is the uplift in levels of pride amongst bankers themselves. What kinds of things are in the standards? What do we mean when we talk about industry standards? Well, we're talking about technical knowledge first and foremost. Because in many banks people are working in silos, you'll often find that there can be a fair level of ignorance about what happens in other areas of the banks and also um, for example, the economic impact of banking in certain areas as well. There are then uh, skills in there, and those skills are again around giving good client service, but also doing what's required of you by your bank to ensure the bank is stable. And finally, behaviour, which really does encompass what we would expect in terms of ethics and ethical standards for bankers and professional behaviour uh, behaviours, managing conflicts of interest, for example. How's this being measured uh, by the institutions themselves and, and that focus on um, what's best for the customer, which isn't necessarily always the same as what the customer wants and indeed what's best for the community, how's that impacted on, on how banks measure success? There's a great deal of work being done on measuring success. And for example, one bank I can think of straight away actually uh, recognises where um, individual bankers perhaps send a, a, a customer off to another bank uh, to get uh, the correct product for them rather than just selling the product that is there in front of them. So we've seen quite a shift in how banks measure performance. And I think what's interesting about that is that's also at a time where we've seen our banks returning to profitability as well. So we have these broader uh, performance indicators which can just really reflect giving good advice to customers. And possibly because of the trust that that's inspiring in customers, we're now seeing uh, banks returning to profit. So there's some really interesting work going on there around vulnerable customers as well and uh, KPIs around how people deal with vulnerable customers and indeed how people identify vulnerable customers. I mean for many banks around 20% of their customers will be vulnerable at any one time. Of course it doesn't mean they're always vulnerable but it's a cycle people go through in their lives It's part of the client life cycle. Uh, banks are really giving a lot of thought to how they can reward individuals for behaving well towards clients. What proportion of the industry is now working to these standards? How has that shifted 
over the uh, last four or five years since the standards were implemented across the major banks? Um, it's around about half of the industry meets the standards, but I would put that in the context that we are the uh, banking institute uh, for banking within the ring fence, i.e. not investment banking. So we've always estimated that about 400,000 individuals in the banking industry in the UK when the uh, standards first launched, we had about 280,000 people meeting those standards. Uh, what's happened subsequently is that number's gone down, not because a lower percentage is meeting the standards, but rather because um, there's in one bank I can think of, its, its workforce has gone down from 110,000 to 60,000. So we are seeing big changes in the industry. In a number of major banks, 100% of banking staff meet the standards. And that's probably the measure that we find most significant. If you look at the high street names, are people generally meeting the standards? Yes. There will be certain individuals, for example, in a law department who will maybe just meet the foundation standard and not a higher level standard because they're in a very specialist role. How do you define a banker and what's the, the relevance of these standards outside what you might classically think of as the banking roles, whether it's a relationship manager or a teller, you know, we tend to think of these frontline roles, but, but how broad do the standards go and why does that matter? I think this is, depends on the level of standard because you don't just have a foundation standard, which is a very bit broad, basic understanding of, of banking. So I would argue that everybody in a bank should meet the foundation standard. Basically, you need to understand what a bank is, how a bank makes money, the environment it works in. Because as we know, if someone is in, say, an IT department and they know nothing about banking, it can be very difficult to have, uh, have a sensible conversation. And likewise, with law, you know, there is a requirement there to, to understand the industry. I, I always tend to draw the parallel with a hospital. Yes, you have a very large number of doctors and they are your sort of paradigm of professionalism in that sector. But equally, in a hospital, you'll have people in law, you'll have people in marketing, you'll have cleaners. Now, for example, they all need to understand that patient confidentiality is absolutely paramount. But do they need to know the details of credit risk? Well, the hospital equivalent? Certainly not, they don't. Standards apply throughout hospitals, but you don't all have to be doctors. In terms of, of, of new banks, what's their approach and their style in terms of traditional banking standards of, of stewardship and you know, sort of prudence? Generally speaking, the newer banks have been far quicker to take up standards than some of the established because part of the reason for that is they generally just do not have the legacy systems and the sheer scale of staff. But more importantly, often those uh, banks, in terms of customer perception, they need to demonstrate their banks. So we, of course, have a number of supermarket banks, and they are huge supporters of professional qualifications and standards. As supermarkets, they need to demonstrate their bankers. They are doing an incredibly good job of demonstrating their bankers just by the nature of the bank they run, of course. But in addition to that, they also uh, maintain the highest professional standards and commitment to qualifications as well. I have noticed that in terms of recruitment strategy, a lot of the fintech providers, the first place they look is to our list of fellows and chartered bankers when they're recruiting staff um, to ensure they get the right banking expertise in their organisations. One of the concerns uh, often with regards to professional institutes such as chartered bankers is, you know, are, are you effective in terms of managing those behaviours? 
Yes, well, we do have uh, disciplinary procedures and uh, I don't think anything in them would come as any surprise to uh, those who are familiar with such systems. So we have some lay members, we have some professional bankers who are members of a disciplinary panel and it's typically chaired by a lawyer. And of course, there is access to appeal through our process as well. I think the difficulty is is unless a regulator is going to make um, professional uh, membership compulsory, there is always the option for the individual just to walk away. Giles, in the UK, as in Australia, a lot of banking businesses actually originated outside the bank's own direct network. So you have an extensive mortgage broking network, for instance, as we do in Australia. But what else does a banker need to know today? And how do you incorporate that into standards and the work of the Chartered Bankers Institute? I mean, clearly, a knowledge of how to manage technology lies at the heart of banking. Manage, understanding how to manage tech and how to work with um, fintech providers is absolutely core to the skills of the banker of the future. Likewise, ensuring that, because as I mentioned earlier, what we don't want is a whole lot of technocrats running our banks who don't understand much about credit. We've been working closely with the British Computer Society um, to align our standards to IT and technology because if without, without tech, I would argue, you, you can't be a banker in the future or actually probably even now. Now, Giles, that sounds like a great argument for continuous professional development CPD. What are the CPD requirements of uh, chartered bankers? It's 35 hours with five hours on professional ethics. How do you encourage banking staff in the UK to go beyond that. Well, we have this phrase, sticking to the letter of the law, just complying with the law simply isn't good enough to be a professional. Yeah, is there a shift in expectations of shareholders um, in the UK? Or, or, or you know, have boards had to kind of even like stand up to you know, some of the pressures that uh, shareholders do place on them for short-term results? How do you make sure the industry is attracting people with the right values in the first place? Uh, and, and do you feel that that is shifting in the UK and shifting in a positive sense or, or otherwise? Well, we have statistics on how different uh, professions and industries are perceived. And we've certainly seen banking starting to move up the list of preferred careers to move into. All of the work that's been going on rebuilding banking and uh, reprofessionalizing, I think is having a positive impact on how the industry is viewed and therefore the people who are choosing to come into it. Now, if you're a FINSIA member, what could you do individually to make an impact? What should an individual be doing? So I think part of it is carrying on doing what they always do, which is uphold the, the, the core values of banking, the new qualification. There are ways for people to get into banking. They can stand up for establishing recognized professional standards, which go broadly across the industry, and who can actually just start shouting about Finzia again. You've spoken uh, about standards and you've spoken about qualifications. Now, people often get confused between the two. Could you describe for me what you mean by each and how do the two interact? So a standard will deal with skills and behaviours as well as technical knowledge, whereas a qualification will typically only deal with technical knowledge. A qualification may be used to meet the, the technical knowledge requirements of a standard that you can never behave in the right way 
if you don't know how to do your job, if you don't have that technical knowledge. So there is a close link at that point. Uh, now, like Finzia, the Chartered Bankers Institute are founder members of the Global Banking Education Standards Board. Uh, why is that important to you? More and more we see uh, a global workforce in banking and it, it's becoming more and more rare for individuals to spend their entire working life in one country. So we as bankers should be aspiring to have a global standard which we all reach as well. What are your observations on the Royal Commission from uh, someone who perhaps can take a more uh, remote view, more distant view of things? I think the interesting distinction for me is there's been far more evidence taken from individual clients of banks as far as I can see than, than some of the other commissions we've had in the UK. If you had a professional standard which was universal, at least at that stage you would be able to point to, well, this is how we do things across the industry and this is the right way to do things. Because when you have professional standards, you can say, yeah, actually, that customer didn't like what happened, but the bank did do the right thing. Because it's very easy for the media to turn an unsatisfied customer into a tragic case. Now, I'm sure lots of these cases are genuine tragic cases, but until you have standards, how do you work out which cases fell below that level of expected uh, behavior and which actually were above it, but it was just the individual customer didn't like what happened. So I, I just see it as a real case for building professional standards here so that we can more clearly identify where wrongdoing was done and help those who had wrongdoing done to them, but also so we can defend those who didn't do anything wrong. Now Giles, uh through a different path, uh, the UK formed its Professional Standards Board. How did that emerge in the UK and what were the necessary steps? Yes, I think the, the industry has changed quite profoundly and its sense of responsibility has changed quite profoundly as well. So I think there really has been a very significant shift. What is the purpose of Chartered Bankers Institute? How do you describe your, per your purpose to a, a lay person? Well, if I'm being flippant, uh, I say um, I'm here so that bankers in the future can go to dinner parties and not feel embarrassed and not tell people they're bankers. In more serious terms, the aim of the Chartered Banker Institute is to improve professional standards in banking for the benefit of both the banking industry and the public interest and the customers of that industry. Okay, and uh, that, that strikes a chord, except that perhaps it's a barbecue, not a dinner party. But if you were to summarise you know, perhaps three things that uh, we should be focusing on here in the banking industry in Australia at the point we're at now, uh, what would be those three things? First would be seek broad uptake of qualifications. The second would be form a professional standards council to ensure that you have standards to work to. And the third is through all of that, a reinforce just how important ongoing membership is. This is about a lifetime's commitment to professionalism. What would you like to hear a banker saying you know, at the, uh, the barbecue? 
in terms of uh, their contribution. I'd like to hear the banker talking about the number of families who've just paid off their mortgages and are very happily uh, living in houses. I'd like to hear the banker talking about how people are retiring happily with uh, a good amount of savings behind them because they've been given good advice by their banker at various times in their lives. Great, and they sound like fantastic KPIs for us all to uh, start measuring ourselves by. Thank you very much indeed for your time today. Thank you.